Welcome to Lives, a show exploring our experiences in the world and how we might live well. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is designer and business founder Elizabeth Murphy, whose curiosity and fascination with design motivated her in 1992 to found her own communications agency, M-Space, which became M-Space and Lovgren in 2018. Murphy shares her design spirit, zest for community life, and lessons learned over her more than three decades as a business leader. I'm probably not that much of a business person. I'm much more about what work we're doing. Of course, I'm running the business, and that's always going to take a lot of time and effort, but I don't really think about it so much as a business. I think about it as um, what we all do together every day that needs to be sustainable and strong enough to support us all as we move forward. But the idea of the business is probably the secondary layer of it all. Imaginative, curious, and energized by what's possible. In 1992, Elizabeth Murphy founded the communications agency M-Space, which became M-Space and Lovgren in 2018. Fascinated by design and committed to community, Murphy has dedicated more than 30 years to the craft of communication and design, not only to help our clients succeed, but also to move the community forward. Elizabeth Murphy, welcome to Lives. Thanks, Stuart. Glad to be here. So when was that first moment for you that you discovered that you had some creative spark? I love this question because it reminds me that I, there was never a moment, right? So growing up, um, my mother was a very is a very creative person. And it was kind of just always assumed that creativity was just part of how people are. And she really facilitated a lot of opportunity for us uh, as kids she um, had a, a neighborhood art class in the summers where we'd gather all the kids together and be outside and make things and create things and display things and talk about them. And um, so that just kind of, I went to preschool at the Jocelyn and um, that was just always kind of baked into our lives and our family life and and who I was. And And so I don't think there was ever a moment. I think it was just kind of always there. Was that an epiphany for you when you were surrounded by creativity? It sounds like it was a part of your existence, as it were. But was there a moment when you thought about that long vista of life ahead and thought, ah, oh, no, I want to pursue something in a creative field? Definitely. Um, and that, I think, was that little turning point when I thought, oh, you can actually make this your life. And... I, I remember I was in middle school and there was um, the All-State Fine Arts Camp they used to host in Lincoln. I'm sure they still do. And they would invite you to go to Lincoln and stay in the dorms. And, you know, we're kids. And they put you with all sorts of creative people. There were people there who were dancers and writers and visual artists and uh, musicians. And we all came together for, I think it was a week. I don't even remember how long it was. But we lived in the dorms together. And we were exposed to, you know, professors and um, experiences and day-long workshopping. And I remember learning that you could be a graphic designer then and that this is a way that you could make a living and you could really love what you were doing with the visual arts and in a problem-solving way, which I always found to be fascinating. So I really do credit being at Allstate back in the day with my moment. Before you actually went to study design, so you studied design, if I'm correct, in Iowa. Iowa State. Okay. So before you actually embarked on your academic pursuit, again, still as a child, how did you, with that realization, think, I'm going to, how did you manifest a, a nurturing of this creative interest? Yeah. Well, I mean, as a child, I was always drawing. Um, when I would gather with my friends, you know, we would get together and draw. That was fun. We'd spend hours drawing together. And um, we would make, you know, houses and villages and people and the whole thing we would build out. And so that was always happening. And so as I got a little bit older, um, of course, always, you know, middle school newspaper, working in layout and design and, and doing the artwork for the paper. And of course, at Westside, I was on the Lance and, and was um, 
in charge of, you know, the visual end of that. And, uh, you know, I even had a job in high school where they paid me to um, make signs for the school that would say, you know, this way to the media center, or this is the social studies library or IMC area. And so I, I would spend, you know, several hours a week um, hand lettering signs, and I loved it. What was the broader context of your childhood? So it sounds like you were born and raised in Omaha, but, but tell me a little bit about the context of your childhood. Sure. Um, there's, you know, so many areas that you can kind of flesh out here, but, um, you know, we uh, lived when I was young, we lived um, closer to Harrison School, loved the neighborhood. Um, it was a really, a really happy time. And um, I was always a little sad that we left that neighborhood because it was just kind of where my heart was and stayed. And I had a lot of friends there. And um, we moved over to the Rockbrook School area. Um, that was West Omaha. Um, and I was always a little bit disconnected from that. I, we had a great life there, and we were kind of those free-range children in a great way. Um, great neighbors, wonderful teachers at the school. Um, you know, it felt very safe and very sweet. Um, and and we really did spend a lot of time outdoors, just kind of finding what could inspire and intrigue us. Um, that said, of course, I was happy to sit down and play in my dollhouse for hours at a time and draw and make things. And um, I liked to travel with my parents and I have a brother and we just had a really good time together, the four of us. In your bio, there's reference to curiosity. How did that show up in your childhood? You know, I think... Um, we were just always kind of exploring whatever we wanted to explore. And I think, you know, at sometimes I probably overloaded and was going in too many different directions at once, especially as I kind of got into middle school and, and high school and all the way through college, really. I pursued almost every opportunity that came to me and was incredibly busy with all these things. And I remember at one point thinking, oh, you can't do it all. You've got to start focusing and realizing where your heart and, and your mind really wants to take you. And I think that's when I started to think, I like journalism, I like graphic design, perhaps that um, kind of layer of helping connect people to ideas and information was a good path for me because I also love to read. And I grew up in a family that is all about the news. My father owns and and my brother is there now too, um, a news monitoring service. And so the news and newspapers and all the big papers, the New York Times, the Washington Post, San Francisco, everybody, they came to not only my father's office, but they found their way into our home. So we were constantly surrounded by news and information. And I think that that kind of layered in to um, my love of the visual arts and, and connecting people to ideas. We'll talk in a while in more detail about the business. I'm wondering at this point, though, if being in the same field of business with your own, the same business for over three decades, if you've ever felt that that has stunted your curiosity. You know, I love that question because sometimes, you know, I lived in Chicago for a while and I found that to be an incredibly, um, oh, it was just a really ex expansive experience for me. And I really dug into the city and I love being a part of the city. And um, so certainly I've, I've thought of leaving Omaha and have left Omaha and then I've come back to Omaha. And sometimes I will say to myself, oh my God, I live in 68124. I have lived in that zip code for an awfully long time, even as a child. And so, you know, it's kind of a joke. That said, um, I feel like because it's my business and it's my experience and it's my set of opportunities to pursue and uncover, I have never felt stagnant. We learn from every new client. We get to kind of choose the directions that we want to become good at and learn more about. And I have never for one moment, felt uh, uninspired, unchallenged, um, or, or, or stunted in any way by the work. It's, it's so challenging every day in, in 500 different ways. 
so you studied in Iowa. Was there any doubt from your family that going to study design was the right path forward? Uh, I think that my mother was like, well, of course you will. And um, my father was a little bit more like, well, uh, you know, is that a viable way to make a living? Um, that said, my father, you know, a small business person. So that's kind of baked in the DNA, right? Um, when I got to Iowa State, you know, that is a really, it's a, people don't know this, it's a highly regarded design college, um, nationally ranked. And it was an incredibly challenging environment that really kind of set me on fire. And so I realized right away that it is a, you can make money. This is not a silly way to make a living. Um, but part of what you need to be really good at is communicating with people and hearing people. And so you can't just be great at executing fabulous design. If, if you are and you're not able to kind of connect that with the communication piece, the hearing piece, the problem solving piece, you're probably moving more into a, a more of a fine arts direction. But to combine those things together, um, I feel like Iowa State gave me all that I needed to really leverage those things. And that's why I felt completely comfortable and prepared to pack my suitcase and go to Chicago. And a week later, I was working at the Sun-Times, which was a pretty cool place to have your first job. Tell me more about your experience in Chicago and certainly tell me about the work that you did. I'm really especially interested, though, in how that shaped you as a person at that moment in your life. You know, I think a couple things. One is, uh, you know, big city, old city, real city. Um, that's where I fell in love with public transportation. I love getting up in the morning and standing at the L stop with everybody else. I love getting on the L. I love taking the bus. I love sitting next to people on the bus. Not that I was talking to them, but I love that shared experience of we're all going downtown together. We're all going to have a day together and we're all going to come back. And it was just such a beautiful kind of the, just the movement of, of the city going through its paces. Um, so I fell in love with the idea of, of transit and shared transportation experiences there. I also had in my job this really lovely oddball office where I sat on the river with a huge window. The building's gone now, but... Um, you know, I could watch the city go by, and at noon um, across the river, Studs Turkle would broadcast every day. I listened every day. And it really connected me to the history of the city, the people of the city, um, the uh, immense joy of diversity that made it what it is. And so I felt very connected. And I think I took a lot of that, the idea of walking places, the idea of taking the bus, the idea of knowing neighborhoods. And I was on foot all the time. I literally was on foot all the time in that city. I didn't have a car. And so I knew it. It was a really great thing to experience and then to bring back to Omaha and think about how can I apply that experience that wasn't my childhood experience outside of my little neighborhood. Um, here we're much more car oriented, but how could I apply that to our city and think about how we live here in that way? So, what are the adjectives in that you would use to describe the effect that living in Chicago had on you that you are trying to manifest and bring back here? I, I know that there are probably some practical things, but there's also a way of feeling about being in a place. And the way you're lighting up in front of me makes me sense that in that moment in your life, obviously we were all younger at that point in time, but you sound enlivened. And so I'm curious, what are those feelings or sensibilities that that inspire you from that time that you are trying to, in, in some way, yeah. you know, live here? Oh, I think the idea of walkability, right? And it's a word that people kind of say, but it's it's a real thing. It, it changes how you feel when you are moving your body and thinking and that whole idea of, you know, the, the flaneur or the person who was on the street observing, it's real. And it gives you a sense of um, noticing that I think, it does inform how you want to live and, and how, the curiosity. It's right. It's that curiosity piece. What is this? Um, I see this every day. So I think the idea of walking places, using your body to get around is huge. And, you know, when I, when I came back to Omaha, I did start walking and I have walked every morning with my friends 
at six, we still get up and walk for an hour and maybe it's dark, but the idea of being on the street together, I think is really an important way to live. And I think then thinking about Omaha's urban core, can we walk around it safely? Does it attract people? Do we want to be here? Yes, we do. And we can see what's happening now as more and more investment and ideas and um, and people come to it. It's just, it's joyous and diverse now in ways that it never was. And that's because there are things you can walk to now. So the obvious question is, is why did you leave Chicago then to come back to Omaha? It is an obvious question and I'm not sure I can answer it. Um, it was kind of a young person's whim of, I'm perfectly happy here and I love it here, but there is work to do in Omaha. There's a space for me in Omaha. And I thought, well, maybe I should just kind of bring my energy and enthusiasm and optimism and curiosity back here and um, think about how I could apply it to the design field. And, and at that time, I was all about design. And, you know, I really don't design now. I am not a person to do the design now. I work with designers. Um, but at that time, I was very focused on design and I wanted to bring it here to Omaha and do it my way. It's funny you say you don't necessarily have an answer. It was a sort of a younger person's whim in some ways, but it actually sounds, as you describe it, very, very intentional that you saw an opportunity, a space, a need in this community that needed uh, uh, someone like you perhaps to um, occupy that space to move the city forward. I don't know if, if it needed me, Stuart, <laughs> but I would say that it had room for me. And I think, you know, at the time, having worked in Chicago, I moved on to an agency. We worked with a lot of really intense public relations and advertising agencies. And it was a hardcore time. And I remember thinking, wow, creatives aren't treated very well in this world. Um, I'm not for that. And so I did want to create my own experience. I wanted to make a place where people loved coming to work. I loved coming to work. It allowed people to be who they really are, bring what they want to bring. Um, and I felt that that was the opportunity to do it differently here. And so that's kind of what I worked toward slowly and surely. What is design as compared to, for example, art or craft even? Yeah, I think the difference is that someone has approached you with a need and they're saying, I would like to communicate this idea to this set of people. Um, and so at that point, it really becomes a process of learning who are we talking to? What are we trying to accomplish? What are the different ways we might do it? Um, and really getting into kind of an exploration, uh, big thinking, it's a kind of like a funnel, right? Big thinking, and you're refining, you're bringing as much research and learning to it as you can as you go. I think it's also um, important that it is tied to criteria. We know that this is a smart solution because we have established criteria around it, and we have established success metrics around it. We know what will work, and we know if it's failing. And so I think that kind of combination of a creative process and a very intentional kind of research-based criteria that we build and um, bringing those things together to solve a communications, I don't want to call it a problem, but a need. So let's talk about the, the business then. You referenced being paid at Westside to create that signage. And it feels like in some ways that's the first taste you had you could do this as it were and be paid what was it then in returning to omaha that actually did motivate you to set up a business when i left chicago i i had a, a lovely job and but i was also freelancing and i would get up and you know get on the train and go to my freelance gigs and then meet with those clients. And then I get on the train and go to my office. And then after work, I would get on the train and go meet with more clients. And so I was freelancing and I was able to kind of transfer those accounts. Um, it's funny because, you know, there was no internet <laughs> and uh, there was FedEx. And so I was kind of taking a leap to say, Hey, what if I'm not here in Chicago? Will you come with me? And a lot of them did. So when I got here, I had accounts, I had clients, I had work to do. That said, I also needed to make a lot of friends fast here. 
Um, and I had a lot of really great people helping me make connections early, including my father, including you know people like Jack Barnhart, who I met, um, people who had been in the printing industry, the design industry, advertising, PR. Those people were super helpful to me in networking early. And so I, I knew what it meant to you know, be responsible for supporting yourself through freelance, and, and I knew what it would mean to scale that up. And so I kind of just put my nose down and started doing the best I could to bring enough work in to support myself and then add on to that. I also will say, you know, I'm very lucky that my husband has always been incredibly supportive of the work. And um, he had a, a nice career that allowed me the flexibility to reach for what I wanted to reach for without too much fear in the beginning. And I think that that is something to acknowledge and really appreciate um, because when you are very worried about how you will pay for, you know, the next meal or your rent or whatever, it can influence how you work and how you move forward. And so I think knowing that we were doing it together helped a lot in those early days. Did you feel at the time, notwithstanding what you said about having some support in this from your husband, but did you feel that you were being courageous and vulnerable? You know, I think I was so darned excited about it all that I, I didn't feel courageous. I felt excited. I also feel like I grew up in a family business, right? And so let's just keep that overhead low, right? I mean, I really, and I still am incredibly careful with overhead. And so I never felt like I was spending more than I could afford to manage. And that was very little money for a long time. And I felt safe that way. I felt safe. The keys weren't in the middle of the table. The keys were just kind of on the edge of the counter. And I think um, I put myself out there in a big way. And I, I feel like I, I definitely kind of said, here I am, let's, let's do this. But as far as like getting in over my head with expenditures or things that um, I, I wasn't sure I could manage financially, I never did that and, and still won't do that. So I do want to ask you more questions about the business, especially your role as a leader and how you and the business have evolved over time. It would make sense, though, to ask you to explain just what is the business. And, and obviously, three decades plus, right. it's changed. But could you give us just a quick historical timeline of what was the work you were doing and how has that evolved to what you do today? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think you're, you're keying into something big, and that's change. I think I do credit that with having 30 plus years of being in business as being really open to change. And I, I tell a quick story about when I first started, oh gosh, Stuart, no one was interested in even giving me a bank account. I mean, I was a 27-year-old young woman and I remember like trying to open bank accounts and having all these gentlemen look at me and say, well, what's your business plan? And I said, well, my business plan is to do really good work and then to do more really good work and to grow my business by doing really good work. And that was just not acceptable. And then I will not name names, but a very uh, what we call a large local bank here was great. They stopped into the office and they sat down at my little table that was made out of a door and um, they looked around. They said, great, you're in. We believe in you. And from then, I realized that not having a business plan actually gave me so much freedom because I wasn't beholden to something I'd written down on paper. I was beholden to the concept of delivering really great work to people I enjoyed working with in a way that brought fulfillment to all of us, right? And so that could mean we're graphic designers, which it meant for the first 10 years. Um, it could mean we're writers. It could mean we're into public relations. It could mean a lot of things um, that grew and grew and grew as our clients needed them and as we saw opportunity with our clients who, you know, they asked us for more. They would say, you know, you're very good at this. Why don't you all expand into this area? And I remember um, hiring, we still have the email from 
20 plus years ago, our first writer. And uh, she joined and came to the organization as a copywriter. And now, really, she and I co-lead together on the administration and the kind of financial backbone of, of the business. So again, change, whether it's what we're offering clients, what we're doing inside the office, um, people move from public relations over to public outreach, or you know, people are moving back and forth within the organization, taking on different roles. They might start in social media and say, no, I'm really good at account management. Um, so we're moving from the inside, we're moving from the outside. Um, I always say that we're soft-sided and we're smart people and we're flexible people and we're problem solvers. And so that gives us a lot of flexibility in what we want to do and approach and pursue. How would you describe M-Space three decades ago? How would you describe the work that you do this week? Yeah, I think three decades ago, we were very much um, focused on the visual end of the answer. And I th we still care very much about that. It's not gone away. But learning how to do the work at a higher level and a, a kind of a broader level, um, we learned that hearing from community is important. And interestingly, our branding process really was built around a public input process, gathering people, hearing thoughts, using those thoughts to shape ideas, coming back to people and saying, is this hitting? Decades later, I was exposed to and now very much participate in um, public outreach initiatives, mostly through community planning. And um, that is something that is a training that we all now receive. And so it's kind of an interesting melding of our creative process and also how we can hear from community and share that with our clients. So we have people in the office now who literally focus their efforts on gathering community, hearing from community, and sharing that feedback with the client. And that can be from everything from the brand to strategic direction um, to you know, public infrastructure projects. It's not just focusing on solving a creative problem or a creative need. It, it goes bigger than that now. Is there a project that either you or the firm has worked on this is the kind of project that you like to hold out to people and say, see, this is what I've this is why I've been in business for three decades. This is why I do the work I do, projects like this one. That should be such an easy question to answer. And I have this thing where if you ask me that question, it's like a, a black shade comes down over me. <laughs> I can't even get specific because it's all such a kind of amalgam of all the really interesting things that are happening in the office at once. So I feel sadly unable to answer that specifically. I think things that we care deeply about are tied to the workings of the city, projects that the city wants to take on, how the city gives, how the city comes together to make cool things happen. And you know, we've been working on the streetcar a long time. Again, if you trace back the DNA on that, I love public transportation. I want to see more of it. Is the streetcar solely public transportation? No, it's also an economic development mechanism to make our, our urban court, you know, more thriving and, and enticing and, and interesting to people to come to. And so the streetcar, you know, is kind of an example of something that we entered in early because we cared about the idea. And the more we learned about it, the more excited we got about it. And um, it connects to so many things. We care deeply about Metro. We worked on the launch of Orbit. That happened during a pandemic. We love the idea of how these things come together and what that means for people who are working downtown, people who want to visit downtown, the wonderful community assets of our downtown. So I would say that's really interesting to us. We also love working in early childhood education. We love working in mental health. We love working alongside the arts. I think all the different ways that you can enhance community that's interesting to us. You mentioned earlier that you do less creative design work now because of the passage of time, your role as a leader of the business. 
And it leads me then to wonder, are you a business person that does some design or are you a designer that's having to lead a business? I think it's fair to say I'm not a designer anymore, but I will tell you, I am still quite the art director. I will get in and be like, let's look at that kerning Um, because that still matters a lot to me. And I do like to be involved in all of our solutions. So that matters. I care about that. Um, I'm probably not that much of a business person. I'm much more about which, what work we're doing, what projects are we involved in? Um, who are we helping make connections with? I do a lot of writing. I work on a lot of brand definition work with clients. I do a lot of interviewing of stakeholders. So I, of course I'm running the business and that's always going to take a lot of time and effort, but I don't really think about it so much as a business. I think about it as um, what we all do together every day that needs to be sustainable and, um, you know, strong enough to support us all as we move forward. But the idea of the business is probably the secondary kind of layer of it all. So maybe then the question I should be asking is, how have you managed to nurture and nourish a culture for an organization for more than three decades that has been able to thrive, but also on occasion, thinking perhaps to the Great Recession, the pandemic, to survive? How have you nourished a culture like that? I think that goes back to your point about the flexibility piece. I think the priority is always the experience of the people who work there. Is this a place that kind of facilitates the best and allows people to explore and do what they want to be doing with their time and talent? And so focusing on being part of projects that do that work for us is really the main goal. And I think that has nourished us. I think that has allowed us to navigate, almost surf. There are, we don't really sell products. Um, we sell m- much more, we're focused on helping connect people to ideas. And some of those ideas are corporate ideas, but um, we're not selling products. I think during the recession is, was a point of decision-making um, we had to figure out what we loved and what we were best at. And we were a really interesting team of people at that time. We were great at kind of questioning ourselves and saying, what do we want to do? What do we want to be? What do we need to let go of? And at that time, we identified public health is very important to us, uh, it built environment and infrastructure, um, education, and just kind of community momentum. That was kind of what we decided to circle around. And we decided to let go of things that other people could do better. Um, We paired our team down to only the full-time people. And so um, we got very small. My husband and I were there every Saturday morning with a vacuum cleaner and the scrub brushes. And, you know, we, we got little and we weathered it. But we weathered it in a way I think that helped focus us for what was next. And also, I think, kind of helped people know who we were. This is what we are. We stand for something. So I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful, really, to the experience and, and how we emerge from it. It shouldn't matter. It seems to still matter. But being a female leader, what have been some of the challenges that, that you have encountered, if any, of being a female business leader? I think that's a real point, and that's, it's something to acknowledge. I think that you know, there were days where as a woman leader, a person in business who's a woman, um, I must have thought I needed to fit into a, a bit more of a male box. And I'm not saying that I didn't try that, but it never felt authentic to me to show up as one of the boys. And so I just didn't do it. Now, in hindsight, I missed a lot of opportunities. That said, I feel like really secure in owning the business and the environment and the experience that I wanted to make real for myself and for the other people who are with me. And so I think I just kind of spun off into my own direction a little bit. And I, it's interesting. I sat on a panel last year and I was very honored to be sitting next to some really accomplished people in advertising, 
in in this community and who are really well known for their work. And as I sat on this panel, um, being interviewed or asked questions by young people, I realized in my mind that we had a little bit spun off and perhaps left the building in a way, and that we are not a traditional ad agency in any way, shape, or form. And the conversation that was tied to that more traditional model just was not at all appropriate for how I was about ready to answer questions. So part of me thinks, oh, wow, I didn't follow the path. I kind of didn't know what the path was. And it just organically became its own thing that doesn't really fit in a box, changes shapes a lot, but has a DNA kind of ethos line running through it that still works and feels really good to me. I hope it feels good to the other people with me. I do think about being in business for more than three decades with your business too, in essentially the same field. How does that stay fresh? How have you kept that fresh for you? Um, Again, the client work is challenging and intriguing. And then the people I work with. And, you know, people move through the office and um, it's so exciting to see where they go and, and they become leaders or what they do next. And that gives us an opportunity then to, to find new people to be inside with us. You know, we have a really, really interesting team right now and we're all so very, very different. And yet we all come together in a way that is incredibly powerful and exhilarating. And so I think the combination, it's really about the people, right? Whether they're clients or they're us on the inside or they're people we might partner with, that's pretty exciting. And a lot of times we'll meet somebody and we'll say, oh, we should work with you. We should partner with you. And so sometimes there there are individuals or even agencies in this community that we're friends with and we want to play with and we partner with. And People will say, oh, I thought you competed in it. I'll say, oh, no, we're friends. And we like to kind of sneak off and do things that are creative and interesting to us on the side. So I think it's all about those connections. It's about those people that we have the opportunity to work with. And I think that is how it just stays really fresh and really fun. And I know 30 years sounds like a long time, but it's been so different. Stuart, the whole time has been so different in my life and the life of the business and the life of the city that I just, I can't even... Think of a day where I was like, wah, wah, here we go. I don't want to make this seem one-dimensional and to keep you in the constraints of your business, as broad and expansive and life-consuming as that is, especially with design being such an open landscape of possibility. Nonetheless, you also talked about being a curious, creative, design-minded child. And I'm sure that spirit has never gone away. And if you're not necessarily manifesting it yourself day to day in your business all the time, outside of M Space Lovegren, how are you manifesting that sort of innate curiosity that is a part of who you are, that that innate sense of design, art, creativity? Where does that show up outside? Um, well, I think in lots of different ways. Um, I love to read. I read a lot. I read a lot of contemporary fiction. I read a lot of um, kind of classical fiction or classics in a way. Um, But I also love to read journals. And so I'll read, um, you know, the Dublin Review, the the London Review of Books, uh, the New Yorker. Um, I love to kind of follow those trains that criticism or or, or essays kind of bring out and they give you these rabbit holes to explore. And, you know, that can be literature. It can be um, art. Um, it can be just experiences on the planet. I find that to be fascinating. Um, we do like to travel. My family travels a lot. So um, our kids grew up in art museums, wherever we were, they loved it. It was kind of something we all look forward to doing together. So um, we always are in a museum when we're in a different city or a place. Um, And, you know, we just like experiencing different lifestyles and seeing how other people live. And I find that to be 
a way of satisfying curiosity too. I think you told me you're in a book club. Oh yeah. Yeah. The ABC book club. And I think you've been in that book club for a long time. Yeah. So the ABC book club was started in 1986 and I was not there for that, but I think I joined in 1991 maybe. And um, we are a group of women who have just really, I think, gotten a lot of the experience of aging together and reading so many different things together and um, hearing other perspectives. And I, you know, when we were talking earlier, our book club, I mean, we do read the book. This is not a joke. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, occasionally we do, you know, falter, but it's really expected that we've read the book and we're ready to talk about the book. And I think having an opportunity over decades to discuss ideas and, um, and, and books and experiences with mostly the same group of women has been a really fulfilling um, gift really to me. You also shared with me that you live in a Cedric Hartman house. So who is Cedric Hartman and why, why does this, obviously it's your home, so it matters to you, but, but why does it matter to you in particular because of your own interest in design? Yeah. You know, uh, we were so happy in our house in, in Midtown and we loved our neighborhood and it was just kind of an ideal existence, wonderful neighbors and friends and children everywhere. I'd come home from work and there'd be kids in my kitchen and it was just a delight. And um, so we really never thought we would leave our kind of Elmwood Park area home. But um, a friend of mine sent me, this is how long ago, this was a fax and he said, this house is for sale um, by Westside, but it's too cool for you. And so my husband and I drove by it, and it was just game over. Um, 1959 house, um, and it was very mid-century. And to kind of back up the truck here, Cedric Hartman is an incredibly talented um, designer in Omaha who has built an amazing business over many decades He's famous for the classic um, standing lamp, but also for furniture. He's in the Museum of Modern Art collection, design collection. He's, he's really a rock star <laughs> designer who's, who's been making things, um, primarily lighting and furniture in Omaha for many years. But early in his career, he designed a few houses. And this is one of them. And when you see the house from the outside, your heart goes a little bit nutty. But when you get inside it, you see what he was doing with space and light. And it's a remarkable place to live and a remarkable place to have raised children. And um, we were so lucky that Cedric actually came to the house um, a year ago. And he hadn't been in the house since it was completed. And so he's in his 90s. And we spent a lovely afternoon looking at the plans and walking through the house and um, just talking about his ideas and his memories and um, the experience of being a young person designing houses who evolved into something else. And um, I think the house has become part of our family. And it is definitely a, an important part of how we feel every day is how we are living in that space. It really feels, the way you describe that, as if being thoughtful about intentional with design has literally shaped your life. It's shaped the spaces that you choose to exist within. I'm wondering if it's shaped other things that you do, not, not just your client work, but how has design shaped the choices you make about any aspect of your life? I think people who care about design kind of can't help themselves, right? It's just kind of part of what motivates and interests and drives you in ways. And obviously there's so many different aspects of design. There's interior design, there's how people live inside spaces, there's there's what you're wearing, there's what you're holding in your hand. It's such a impactful and far-reaching word, right? It's kind of everything. And I think we all care about it at some level. I definitely know that it's important to me. I, things that are poorly designed do make me a little, just a little unhappy and uncomfortable. And um, so I do kind of search for those things that are well-designed. Well, you know, it's always fun to think about, like, you can be in a budget hotel in London, 
but it can be really well designed. And you're like, dang, this is fabulous. Um, I think the idea of how design can influence so many aspects of just what it means to to be alive, I, I don't know. I find it to be incredibly exciting still in every way. Another large word then is success. And I'm, I'm curious how you think about success. What does that mean to you? I think you don't separate it. And I think that's why I'm not a traditional business person. I don't make business decisions. I just don't. I try to be very smart, um, but I'm not driven by the dollar as the number one motivator. So for me, success is really uh, how you feel you are existing and how you are interacting with the other people in your world. And I think that being happy, feeling like you are part of making the day better for someone is important. I know that sounds very basic, but if if you can you know support yourself and and build infrastructure that others are able to be supported inside that or, or contributing to that um, and that you're experiencing a day that brings you something interesting and fulfilling and exciting or meaningful i call that success do you feel like a role model you made a really deliberate choice to leave Chicago, to come back, establish this business, still ongoing. Do you feel like a role model for people in this community? You know, I'm always surprised. Um, I think the longevity aspect kind of snuck up on me. And for so long, I was used to being the youngest person in the room and the person with the smallest voice. And all of a sudden, like one day I woke up and I'm like, wait a sec, I'm not the youngest person in this room and now by a long shot. And so I think it's okay to say, yeah, um, you can do this. Uh, if you want to look to me as an example of somebody who kind of struck out with my, you know, $5 in my hand and my big idea, that's great. I think everyone has the opportunity to be a role model in, in ways. And I think uh, you can find what you need from people. So if I can offer that to somebody, I'm happy to do it. How, how is this and by this, I mean everything, <laughs> you know, all these experiences that you've been describing. How, how do you see yourself as a different person uh, because of all these experiences that you've had? You know, I still kind of feel like that kid who wanted to sit down and draw all day and go out running in the neighborhood. And um, I don't feel that different. I know I've learned a lot and I know I've probably experienced things that that child could never have anticipated. Um, but I don't really feel like I've, I don't feel different. I feel the same. Would you have done anything different when you kind of like look back? I mean, I know we all make mistakes in life and there are things that didn't go quite as we wanted them to, but, but would you have made any major choices a different way? I feel like there's so many ways you can live your life, right? And so the question is kind of more like, oh, what if you got to live this life? Or what if you did that life? Or what if this had happened to you and you did that instead? So I would say I am grateful for how my life has evolved and for how I was set up to live the life that I have lived. I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, so no, I don't think I'd do anything different. I don't want to regret anything. Um, there are times where I get in my car after a meeting and think, oh, gosh, what if you had done this differently? I certainly can a microwave think that all the time. But in the big scheme of things, I am grateful for the opportunities that I've been able to take advantage of and, and pursue and navigate. And, um, you know, I just feel like the world is it's big and it flows, right? And so to be along for that ride is just a, an amazing opportunity. I, I guess I want to close in it and, and building on what you just said, it, it feels like you're answering this. But I want to go back to that child surrounded by creativity, encouraged to be creative. But having that realization that creativity and its expression and communication and design is something that you could build a paid professional life out of. 
And I don't want to reduce purpose in life to something that you can be paid for. But closing that circle, when you look back to that time, do you think that the arc of your life has been living into a sense of purpose? I do think that's true. I mean, selfishly, it's been a purpose that I feel very kind of exhilarated by. I would say, you know, now at this point, I would like to be intentional about making sure more young people have the opportunity to know this is out there for them. And I think one of the things we're really focusing on at, at M Space and Lovegren right now is inviting more children, more young people from more backgrounds to see it and know that it's there for them and bring them inside. So I think now is the time for me to just invite more people to experience what I've had the opportunity to do. My guest today has been the designer and founder of the business M Space and Lovegren, Elizabeth Murphy. Thanks so much for being on the show, Elizabeth. Stuart, it was a really good time. Thank you. Lives is brought to you on KIOS Omaha Public Radio and is produced by Courtney Beerman. The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening. Thank you.